Isaac just keeps on outdoing himself. I don't know where he's going to go from there, but... <laughs> hey, tonight, before Pastor Rick comes up and shares, we have the blessing of having one of our missionaries in the audience with us, and we're going to invite them up. This is uh, Steve and Teresa Yates um, from Moldova, and we have a few minutes to introduce them to you and let you get to know them. Um, I love the verse in the book of Philippians where Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And as a church, whether you are new it or not, we are in fellowship with Steve and Teresa for quite a number of years. How many years? Uh, I got saved here in 1997. Okay. Yeah, I became a Christian here in 1997. Okay. And um, so I'm just going to we're going to have some pictures in the background that are going to be rolling so that you can kind of get an idea of where they are. But, and then Steve and Teresa are going to kind of fill that in for us. Um, but just to get to, get to know them a little bit, and then they have a table at the back that you can pick up some more information. But um, we're stoked that you're here with us for these, this past month. Um, tell us a little bit about your family. Yep. So this is my, my wife, Teresa. And we have three boys, Aiden's... My oldest is over there. He doesn't, he doesn't want anybody to know that. And we have two boys that are back with all the other kids right now. And you've been in Moldova how many years? So we've been in Moldova for 16 years now. Okay. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about the ministry because I know there's a lot of people out here that probably haven't heard about what you do over there. Yeah. So um, maybe a little bit about the country too and then a yeah. little bit about Yeah. So the- Moldova is right there sandwiched in between Ukraine and Romania. It's, it was one of the former Soviet republics. Um, yeah, we live in uh, the center of Moldova. In Kish- I'm sorry, in Chisinau. <laughs> it's hard to point and do that. Wait, that way. And uh, yeah, so we live in Chisinau. And it's, the whole country has about three and a half million people. That's, that's a really um, optimistic uh, number because really there's a lot of people who aren't even there and Okay. They just don't even know, uh-huh. like, how many people are left. And so, but in Chisinau, there's probably close to a million people in the city. And are, is Moldova a Christian country, Islamic country? What? Yeah, so uh, Moldova, the, majority, the vast majority of Moldovans would consider themselves Russian Orthodox. And so going to Moldova would be a lot like going to Mexico and people being Catholic. Um, most of the people there, I would say they're nominally uh, religious, meaning that they, you know, they, they go on the big holidays kind of thing. Um, yeah. And so uh, evangelical Christians, Protestants, are a very, very small minority. Most of them live in, in the small towns throughout the country. And, and what kind of, what would be the standard of living of the, most of the people there? Yeah. Um, so Moldova's uh, the poorest country in Europe. Um, I mean, that's a very relative term. It's not, it's not like uh, shantytown Africa, but it's... It's poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the average wage there is about $250 a month. Um, the cost of living is, is still actually relatively quite high. Okay. Yeah. And we want to hear Teresa say a few words. So, Teresa, share with us a little bit about what it's like for you as a, a mother and as a missionary wife and as a minister over there. Uh, <laughs> Did I put you on the spot? I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I... It's, uh, I, don't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Um, some things are difficult with the, I mean, the cultural differences. I, uh, the schools are still run in an old-fashioned way. There's a lot of shame based, and my kids go to public schools, and so we have to work through that together. I don't mm-hmm. homeschool. We want the kids to know the language and to be part of the culture, to feel like they don't, they're not in a bubble separated from Everyone so your kids there. speak the language? That they go to there. a Russian-speaking school, and they have to learn Romanian because uh-huh. Romanian's the language, main okay. language. But there's a lot of Russian speakers. And so they speak Romanian and Russian? Yeah, Russian's That's better. Awesome. But yeah. That's really good. And so um, where are we at? Tell us, Steve, a little bit about the church and the ministry that you do there. Yeah, so the church that we're currently a part of is uh, this church. is called Metanoia. We... Um, we helped to plant this church about eight years ago in Chisinau. So we were six years in the north where I pastored a church, and we moved to Chisinau, planted this church. Um, so currently I'm in kind of like a supporting uh, role, like 
acting like an elder, and we lead community groups. Um, we've been leading the children's ministry there uh, for a while. I, I also am part of the preaching team, mm-hmm. um, but we have a guy that's, he's the lead pastor now, um, and so we let him do that. Um, so these are, yeah, these are all just the super cool people. We've got to see pretty much each and every one of them come to know Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, which has been really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so um, one of the things that Craig asked me to specifically speak about was um, my, my role has kind of uh, evolved as we've, as, as we've been there. So I was serving as a pastor for, for a lot of years, and I'm not currently a pastor, but I've shifted, I've shifted into business. Um, so we're doing business as mission. I have a, I have a carpet cleaning, upholstery cleaning business, super sexy on that level. <laughs> um, yeah, we have, uh, you know, several employees and, but the real, the real drive behind it is for a lot of years. I was, um, I was just asking myself a question, a couple of questions. How do you keep people, how do you keep people in Moldova? It has, you know, one of the highest rates of immigration, meaning people are just they're leaving because they can't provide for themselves. And for a long time, I was, it, it really uh, upset me and discouraged me, you know, because I'm constantly um, pouring into people and then they leave, you know. So you always have this feeling like I'm st- we're starting over all the time. And, um, and so the question is, how, well, you know, I, I didn't understand until I started having kids and looking, you know, imagining myself, you know, hey, dude, like, I want to stay, but I got to feed my kids, mm-hmm. So tell me how I can stay. And the answer, one, at least one of the answers, I believe, was business. Amen. Um, yeah, and so we started that. We started a business about four years ago, and the Lord's been just really good to bless it. And, um, yeah, and have lots of ideas uh, so, for future So this, we, we support them as a church, but then they also support themselves as tent makers. And they're raising up people in Moldova to go out and start businesses and hopefully plant churches as well, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. One, of, one, of, one of kind of the big things I, I'm hoping to do in the near future is to start at like an IT company because mm-hmm. that's the big opportunity okay. uh, over there, yeah. So our time is getting short, yep. but I'd like you to leave us with one or two needs, ways that we as a church can pray for you or help you as you're going back starting this Thursday, right? You're leaving on Thursday? Yeah, we're mm-hmm. out of here on Thursday. Yeah. Um, yeah, as a family, um, I, at least at this stage in our lives, I think our, our absolute biggest um, prayer request would be that you would just you'd pray for um, us as parents and uh, that our kids would know the Lord. That's Amen. like, yeah, I really don't have another bigger prayer request. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, pray for them, please. Um, they, you know, they're, yeah, they need Jesus. Okay. And so um, as, as a family, pray for our church that we would continue to raise up leaders. We, um, I didn't get to mention it, but we are planting, our, our little church is planting another church in a small town nearby. Amen. And that's something that Teresa and I are going to be involved with uh, supporting that. Amen. You know, we're sending, we're sending uh, a young woman to uh, Namibia. Awesome. Um, and so, yeah, God is doing cool things. Pray, pray for them, please. And um, pray for us that God would give us wisdom to do business with integrity in a, in a very corrupt country. I know that Steve has, Steve and Teresa have a lot to share. We have a table for them at the back. They have some cards. I encourage you to um, just stop by and pick up that information, put yourself on their email list. But uh, before you go, Steve and Teresa, we're just going to pray for them. Pastor Rick's going to come up. John, do you want to come up and pray for them as well? They're headed back to Moldova on Thursday. They've been here a month, and uh, we just want to send them out with our blessing. And so, Lord, I just want to thank you for Steve and Teresa and their whole family. Lord, they've been faithful for many years, 20 years, um, leaving California as a part of this church, going to Moldova and ministering in that country um, for a long time, Lord, and really immersing themselves in the culture and um, enduring many of the hardships that the people there endure. And so, Lord, as they go back, I just pray that um, they would go back filled with hope, filled with expectation, um, more than anything, filled with your Holy Spirit, Lord. You told us that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit to be witnesses with the, um, with the power that is from on high. And so, Lord, fill them with that power that they might be those effective witnesses in Moldova. And just watch over them, bless them, 
Guard them on the way. Guard them in the ministry they do. And uh, may the joy of the Lord be their strength day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Teresa. God bless you guys. Thanks, Thanks, Hey, everyone. Great to be here on this uh, Saturday night. Hey, if you didn't bring a Bible, uh, Linda's back here. She's got an armload and Dewey and Israel. And raise your hand. They'll get you one. And you'll have a passage in your hands when we stand in a few moments and read the Word of God for our message here this evening. And we are reading through Anchored in the Word. The thing that changes your life as a Christian is reading through God's Word. Real revival of the soul happens when God's Spirit works through God's Word to change God's people. And until you fall in love with God's Word and begin to read God's Word and have it nourish your soul, as Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And in this experience, as you're reading through, you're, you're not... Uh, <laughs> You know, hopping around, picking and choosing, smorgasbord version of Christianity. I know this verse over here. I have a calendar and I have one verse here and there. Well, there's a lot of hard verses that you'll never see on somebody's refrigerator, right? And unless you're reading it through, and that's the kind of passage we have here because we are reading through the book of Romans as well as in the Old Testament. And the title of our message here tonight is Hard Things Nobody Wants to Hear. Aren't you glad you came? (laughs) Hard things that nobody wants to hear. You know, in this passage of Scripture, we really have the good news and we have the bad news. But because of the text, the bad news in this first part outweighs the good news, not in quality or the transformation of our lives, but just understanding what is going on in a person's life, a family's life, or a culture that has rejected God. Do you guys uh, know what that looks like in our own nation? Right? What's that look like? And we're going to boil it down here as we see the beliefs and the behavior of God's people and how those things begin to work in our lives. You see, what I believe then affects how I behave. This is just, you know, uh, life 101. The things that I'm believing, I'm making decisions based on my belief system, based on my worldview. And in this passage of Scripture, Paul the Apostle unpacks what the world looks like when they reject God, where their mind goes, what happens in their morality through their behavior. Because we now live, we're starting to move as a a, a culture into a post-Christian era like Europe, where morality really doesn't matter. And as we move away from the Judeo-Christian ethic, these things become glaring in their appearance. And I want you to know, as we look at a time where cancel culture is like on steroids, it's nothing new because we're going to see in this passage of Scripture, when people reject God, that's what they do. They have a cancel culture mentality because they don't want to hear truth. So... If you have a weak argument and the other person has a strong argument based in reality and truth, the only thing to do is to cut them off, shut them up, or turn them off. Because you do not want to hear truth. Each of us know that as we have been growing up in life, we heard somewhere along the way, maybe multiple times, the truth hurts. Sometimes, you know, when you're... You're in close relationship with people, and people that really love you will tell you the truth. And I always joke that it's a friend that'll tell you that you have a booger on your nose, right? Everybody else just, and I I want you to know that I did not love a girl that I, I, Tammy and I were in the restaurant. We went over to Ventura yesterday. I took her out to lunch, and uh, we were uh, getting a a, a pizza. And this girl walked out, looked like a mom and a daughter, and she walked out, and the, the daughter's probably like 30, and she uh, walked out, and because they were on a couple of steps ahead of me as they, they came down, her fly was wide open. And I never said a thing. Because it's a little awkward for a guy, excuse me, miss, but your fly's down. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> but then I thought to myself, if I'm parading around the restaurant, I wish somebody told me my fly was down, <laughs> right? But that's an embarrassing moment. It's an embarrassing moment when Somebody that loves you enough to tell you, hey man, your fly's down. In a spiritual sense, in a cultural sense, in a moral sense. You know what? You're walking around with your fly down because you've pushed God out 
and people are trying to let you know, and you are simply not receiving it or hearing it. Let's stand up and read this passage of Scripture as we start in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, because we've got to start with some good news because there's loads of bad news that Paul's going to unpack here. It says in Romans 1, starting at verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened professing themselves to be wise they became fools father we just ask that as we look at your word tonight that you would open our eyes that we would see wonderful things by your grace lord by your spirit feed us teach us give us ears to hear your truth may your spirit saturate our souls with the reality that you're trying to communicate to our hearts right now. Feed us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we look at, first of all, the good news, isn't it fun to say, tell people good news? I love to tell people good news. And it's a bummer to be the bearer of bad news. As a pastor, I've had to be the bearer of bad news in very, very difficult situations at hospitals and homes and, and various things. But I love to bring good news. As a matter of fact, the scriptures tell us in the Old Testament, also here in the book of Romans, when we get to chapter 10, that beautiful, the people that bring good news have beautiful feet. Those little feet that go pitter-patter that bring the good news to you, those are beautiful feet. And we all want to have beautiful feet and bring good news. And in this case, we have to look at the good news because definitely a spoon full of sugar is going to help the medicine go down for the bad news. And when he tells us, first of all, we're going to look at the belief system that will change your life. Your belief system will change your behavior. And the ungodly person, their belief system is going to take their behavior down a dark road. He tells us that I'm not ashamed of this good news of Jesus or Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. This is God's method. This Bible that you have is written by Jewish people, Jewish prophets, we have a Jewish savior, and the heritage of the Jewish people to bring Jesus into the world to be the savior of the entire world, not just the nation of Israel or Jews. And so the Jews always get the first shot at the gospel. The gospel goes to the Jews, and then it goes to the Gentiles. Paul the apostle would go into a town, he would find a synagogue, he would go into the synagogue, begin a dialogue, tell them all about Jesus, and after about three or four weeks, there was a big revival and a riot, and he usually got beat up, and then when he got kicked out, then he went to the Gentiles. That was his mode, right? Go to town, have revival, have riot, get beat up, establish a church. <laughs> that was the, the process that he went over and over again. But the concept that the power of God to salvation, the good news that Jesus loves us, died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose from the dead, through faith in him, a man, a woman, young, old, the worst sinner in the world, or a relatively, uh, I call them good sinners, you know, they, they, they haven't plumbed the depth of their own depravity, they cruise around their whole life, you know, I was an honor roll student, and I pay my taxes, and I help my grandmother, and it's like, praise the Lord, you still need Jesus, but those people have a hard time seeing they need Jesus, because they're, you know, relatively good people, but it says the power of God unto salvation, or to salvation, salvation means we're saved from something, right, if you're rescued, you're saved, well, what do we need to be saved from, you and I, well, we need to be saved from our own destructive sin, Right, Because without the Lord, our own selfishness will diminish our quality of life. But more than that, when this life is over, 70 or 80 years, we're going to stand before the Lord. And the good news of Jesus, through faith in him, through your belief in him, and it transforming your behavior, ultimately you're going to stand before the Lord as righteous in heaven. 
Now, most people that you would ask the question, when you die, do you want to go to heaven? Even the most hardened sinner, they'll say, yes, I want to go to heaven. They'll say, why? It's not because they love Jesus or because it, they, well, the alternative that they've heard about is not very good. That's their simple mindset. Well, heaven's better than hell, right? And if it is real, so we're going to be saved from something, you guys. We're going to be rescued from something through belief in the finished work of Jesus, the forgiveness of our sins. He paid the full price, rose from the dead, and this all takes place by faith. Not by your works, not by your effort, not by obeying the law. You'll hear somebody say, well, I just live by the Ten Commandments. I said, no, you don't. Let me go down the list. Let's talk about how you've broken them this week. Right? The law is not there to save you. Now, once you're saved, because your belief system has transformed you inwardly, you actually now want to live out the Ten Commandments. The law says, do this and you'll live. And the problem is the law just shows you how you've fallen short. It can't rescue you. It can't save you. It gives you a list of rules, and when you read through them honestly, you go, blew it, blew it, blew it, blew it, I'm toast. Right? That's the purpose of the law, and that's what Paul says the purpose of the law is to be a schoolmaster. Imagine some rigid, you know, strict schoolmaster with their little uh, pointer, and they're slapping your knuckles, and every time you're out of line, you're just... You know, on pins and needles because you're always blowing it in the classroom. The law was that schoolmaster until we came into the loving arms of Jesus' salvation. And now we're rescued from the law. You see, it tells us in verse 17, for in it, the good news of Jesus, this whole message of the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. How do you get right? Righteousness is simply being right with God from his perspective. The righteousness of God is revealed. It's as if something was hidden and now the sheet's been pulled back. And, but it's revealed from faith to faith. That is, faith alone or only by the path of faith. Because the just, you're justified. The just shall live by faith. I want you guys to know, I don't care if you've been a Christian for 30 years, you can fall into this ditch. You know what that ditch is? You start living your life and you know that you are saved by grace, right? You didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it. But somehow along the way, you forget that. And oh, I haven't been reading enough. I haven't been praying enough. I haven't been good enough for God to answer my prayers. You ever fall into that ditch? And your entire Christian life from beginning to end, as it says, from faith to faith, is I received the Lord half drunk after putting a couple of drug deals together in my living room. And I want you to know there was no earning or deserving anything, but I, I deserved hell. And Jesus saved me by faith. I trusted him. Now, as I move forward in my life, after now almost 40 years of walking with Jesus, I am still believing and receiving the goodness of God. I am not earning and deserving. And when you hear a lot of preaching or you hear a lot of Christians talking, their rhetoric, their belief system has fallen into the ditch of believing they're earning and deserving God's favor. They're praying enough, they're reading enough, they're going to church enough, they're being good enough. Now, I want you to know, we read the Bible to grow. We go to church to grow. We don't do it to get God's favor. We already have it. If Jesus died for our sins so that through faith in him we can be forgiven of our sins and go to heaven, don't you think he's going to throw in your daily life too? Right? So just think this in your mind. Write it in the front leaflet of your Bible. Today I'm going to believe and receive. I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it. God's just good. I don't want to earn and deserve. Like you're working. God owes me a paycheck. No, he doesn't. If you want to approach God that way, you're always going to be bankrupt. Right? If you deserve it. Have you been good enough lately? <laughs> I don't think I've been good enough one day of my life. I don't mean an outward action. I mean in the wrestling match of your own soul, your own mind, your own thoughts, your own, you know, the stuff that you have going on in here. I know you guys don't have stuff going on in there. But I got stuff going on in there. It's like, Lord, help me by your grace. So this is the good news. And to put the icing on the cake for the good news, if we were to skip ahead to Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 26, it says this. Now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Once again, he wants to reveal how to be right with God 
apart from the law, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. You see, we're all in the same boat. None of us have arrived. None of us are perfect. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but through faith in him. And just to comfort our hearts, if you believe in Jesus with all your heart, raise your hand. Just raise your hand. And just sigh a big relief. I'm just believing and receiving. Whoo! Good news. Because if you don't hang on to that, the bad news right now is going to rock your world. And rock your world by saying, just as God wants to now reveal his righteousness through faith in Jesus, he wants to reveal what his wrath is about. And even the word itself, doesn't it kind of startle you? Wrath. I, I don't want my name in the sentence associated with the word wrath when it comes to God, right? God's wrath. Now, I know what man's wrath looks like, and the Bible says that the, the wrath of man does not bring about the righteousness of God, and that's the problem that people charge God. Well, God's a wrathful, vengeful. No, he's a perfect, holy, loving, amazing God, but he brings judgment. Now, the belief system of the ungodly is different than us. We know we're sinners. We know we've fallen short. We want to get right with God. We want to have a relationship with God. We want him to change our belief system. We want him to change our behavior. We want to spend eternity with him. That's who we are in Jesus. But before we came to Jesus, we looked a lot like this. As a matter of fact, this list right here is going, that you're going to read right now looks like our biography before we came to know Jesus. And if it still looks like your biography here tonight, we're going to have an opportunity for you to believe in Jesus tonight (laughs) so you can change your story and your belief system. But verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God's wrath is going to be revealed, and he's going to tell us why God is angry with sinful man and their belief structure. All right? He's going to unpack this. He says all ungodliness, their attitude towards God, and unrighteousness um, of men. That towards man and God, because the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? And if I'm out of step with God, I'm not loving God and I'm not loving the people around me. I'm living selfishly. But he says specifically, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. He says, men suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness. That's a cancel culture idea. If people Say, hey, you know, if you receive Christ and you're forgiven of sins, and people want to suppress that. They, they don't want to hear that. They want to get rid of that. You know, um, I, I got us kicked off of YouTube a couple of weeks ago from, you know, sharing some things that the uh, uh, technocrats did not like uh, that message that went out. They didn't want to hear Robert F. Kennedy uh, Jr.'s um, data and specifics about uh, vaccinations and things, and so they just cut us off for seven days. You don't want to hear the truth? Just turn us off, right? Our, our friend that was here last night, Nick uh, Vujacek, Chich. <sighs> Nick's got a, his last name, Vujacic. So Nick was here last night, and recently he went to use his bank cards. He banks with Chase Bank, and he went to use his bank cards, and all of his uh, uh, bank accounts were shut down. All of his cards were frozen. He calls the bank and says, what's going on? I need, I need my cards. And they said, uh, we're going to get back to you. We're going to send you a letter. So they send him a letter two or three days later after they had frozen his accounts, and the letter basically said, we have evaluated you and your organization, and we no longer want to have anything to do with you. We are terminating our service to you. Now, It's one thing for us to get kicked off of YouTube. Chase Bank looked at this Christian man. Talk about discrimination. Here's a guy that was born without arms and legs. And he's rocking the world with the message of Jesus and wanting to fight for the unborn. And a bank looks at his life and looks at his organization and looks at his messages, messaging and says, we're cutting you off. We're cancel culturing you. That might be coming to a bank near you, right? 
They see your post. How, how, how far is this going to go? Right? How, how, I mean, they're already doing it at Facebook and Twitter and various things. And two weeks ago, it came out that, that the Biden administration is trying to dialogue with now our cell phone carriers to edit our texts in the same way. Can you believe it? Why? What, what is the big threat, you guys? Truth. So what do you do? You suppress it. You squish it. You put a lid on it. We don't want to hear the truth. So the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Truth is the way that people discover transformation. Truth is the right, it's reality. It's it's my thinking that corresponds with reality. That's what truth is. And so if I want to stop truth, is what I'm saying is I want to be disconnected from your reality because I want to make my own reality and I want to suppress the truth. So we're living in a generation, and we watch this through history, as all regimes, what do they do? They cut off communications for people trying to communicate truth and they start their lying propaganda machine. And the propaganda machine is just pumping its sewage of lies, right, into a culture along their narrative, what they want you to hear. Saddam Hussein in Iraq in a desert storm was pumping his propaganda that they were destroying the great Satan because that's what they call America, all the way till the soldiers came and turned off the radio signal. I mean, because it only took them three days to get all the way to to Baghdad. And so, uh, you know, um, it's, it's unbelievable what is taking place not only historically but in our lives right now. And the Lord says they suppress this truth and it's twofold. He says in verse 19 that uh, what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. And then he talks about creation. God says that people that have not received the Lord and want to suppress his truth, God has written in the hearts of men. This is what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He says he has written eternity on our hearts. People innately, I don't care how braggadocious they are about their atheism, about their agnosticism, you know what? They know God. there's God. <laughs> I have a family member uh, that uh, is is a self-proclaimed atheist. And so um, another family member said, okay, so if you get cancer and you're going to die, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I'll, I'll pray. And she said, you just told me you don't believe in God. Who are you going to pray to? Right? There's, there's this big, this, this cognitive dissonance. When I'm in a foxhole, I know God's up there. Right? I just don't want to, I don't want to have him govern my life. So in your conscience, you know that there's a God. And this is global, around the world. Don't care what color of skin, don't care what nationality, don't care where you're from. It's innately, you know that there's a God. So God holds humanity, because you can blow smoke to humans, but God knows your heart. He's like, I wrote it on your heart, in your conscience, that I exist. And you suppress that truth. And he says, and then when you come outside and you look around at creation and you see a sunrise and you see a sunset and you see the Milky Way galaxy and you see the, the amazing uh, process of reproduction with a child being born and you look at creation, you go, whoa, somebody designed this. It had to be God, right? Somebody designed this. Like if somebody pulls up, yesterday we were driving down the road and there was this really cool car right next to my wife and I, my very normal car. Not so cool. And, and, uh, and my wife's like, what kind of car is that, honey? And I said, I know, it's really cool. I said, I bet it's got a big horse on it, meaning that it's a Ferrari. So we pulled up there, and she's like, how much is that? I said, I don't know, probably like one hundred fifty to 250000 I don't know what a Ferrari is. If you have one, let me know afterwards. And, uh, but, but just think about it. When I look at that car, if I just went, oh, wow, that just happened. Right? It just, like, after billions and billions of years, it just, in my backyard, it's coming up through the dirt. <laughs> right? Some storms came and, and threw, you know, uh, <laughs> 
this process of osmosis, boom, there's that car. It's got the you know, new tires on it and everything. It just evolved right in front of me. You see, you're a moron. You're a moron. I mean, are you... A, but do you know that that's what they say about your human body? And I want you to know your human body blows away that car. Your human body, there's an architect behind who you are. It's fascinating. They're still discovered. They didn't even know how this thing works totally, right? They don't even know. So for man, men or women, to say, in my conscience, I know deep down, though I never talk about it, because if I talk about it, I'll have to acknowledge him. And if I acknowledge him, I'll actually have to see what he wants of my life. So i got to suppress my conscience. I look around at creation and I, I can't say, wow, God created all this stuff. No, I can't do that. So i got to suppress that he's a creator. And the Lord says, because I put it in your conscience as an unsaved person, because I've revealed it to you out here in the world, at the end of verse 20, what does he say? He says, so that they are without excuse. No man, no woman has an excuse for rejecting God and suppressing the truth from God's perspective. Once again, this is God's perspective. Because we look at people and go, oh, you know, they just, we try to make excuses for people. And God goes, no excuse. No excuse. They don't believe in me. I put it in their conscience. I put it in creation all around them. And then in verse 21 it says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were dark, and professing to be wise, they became fools. It says, although they knew God, it doesn't mean they surrendered to him, they just know who he exists. As a matter of fact, you know, James says, when people, when a, a typical person says, well, I believe God, that there's a God, and James says, so what, the demons believe in God and tremble, it doesn't mean that they're right with God. You believe there is a God, but you're not surrendered to him. And that's what it says here. When they, although they knew God, they didn't glorify him and they didn't thank him for his goodness. What does God want from the human heart? He wants you, through your life, through relationship with him, to bring glory to him and to have a thankful heart. Do they do that? No, they don't do that. And because of that, because they won't acknowledge him, they've suppressed the truth, they don't glorify him, they don't thank him, it says they're... Uh, but became futile in their thoughts. Now their cognitive dissonance begins to invade and pervade into every area of their life. They begin to be disconnected with reality. Have you guys been watching anybody on, on TV over the last 18 months and hearing all of these stats? And have you ever just wondered when you hear it and you've been actually checking out the data and you know what's going on and you're connected to reality, you're like, how could that person be literally so stupid? I, I'm sure you haven't had that thought. I've had that thought, right? I mean, literally, I mean, you're just like, it seems incomprehensible to me, the things that people are saying and doing. When I look at critical race theory, and I look at it, it is racism on steroids based totally on the color of people's skin. Duh! <laughs> right, check it out. And that this is now going to be, bring equity and diversity and inclusion. It's like, no, it's not. There's a, one specific group that does not get to join the diversity, the inclusion, and the equity. Who is that? All white folk. So, well, if it was inclusive, that means, hey, if we're Asian Americans, we're black Americans, we're Indian Americans, we're, you know, whatever we are. That's the unique thing about America's story, right? We're a melting pot. doesn't matter what color your skin is. doesn't matter what your heritage is. doesn't matter what your language is. Once you're an American, you're an American. And we're not worried about people's this color of their skin. Critical race theory makes everybody focus on one thing. How much melanin do you have in your skin? And this is being touted from the White House and the administration and across the board, across America, from academia. This is the message. The message is, if you've heard it recently, the greatest health threat for America is white supremacy. Is that right? I didn't know that that was a great health threat. 
Now, don't get me wrong. Racism is in every culture among every people, right? There are, I, I've had family that's seriously racist, and I'm sure you have too. But I know what it looks like, and I know how ugly it is, and I want nothing to do with it. But it doesn't matter. I'm a racist. And the cognitive dissonance to me, because once you push God out, who has created us all, you know all of our grandparents are Adam and Eve, and then you boil it down to the flood, it's Noah and Mrs. Noah. Okay? We, and, and you go, oh, that's a biblical answer, that's secular reasoning. And no, no, circular reasoning. Do you know about 10 years ago, they did a mass DNA. They ran 100,000, and there's a way to do it, uh, which I'm not familiar with this part of the science, but it's more of an abbreviated part of the DNA chain, the helix, and they did 100,000 tests across the globe, and they came up with this great revelation that everybody on the planet came from one set of parents. Hello? Right? That's what we've been saying for a long time. We're not scientifically idiots, but we, get, we arrive by faith. It's like, there, here's this mountaintop of truth, and all the Christians are all huddled up over here, and then the scientists go through the valley of the shadow of death, and they come, and they find, oh, you guys were right. We just arrived there by faith. They showed up by science. But what does that tell you? It, says, uh, it tells you that our science is not disconnected from the reality around us. We are connected to reality. And yet you hear all the time, Christians are delusional. So I'm like, you know who's delusional? People that reject that they know God exists in their hearts, that everything around them was created, they don't glorify God, they don't thank him, therefore they become futile, it means empty, it means uh, in, in their thoughts. And then it says their foolish hearts were darkened in verse 21, professing them to be wise, they became fools. All these people that are professing these things have an air of virtue signaling of superiority over all of us morons. They're so smart. They're totally disconnected with, from God. They want nothing to do with God. But they're professing themselves to be wise. They become, the Lord says it. I didn't say it. They became fools. So, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God in to an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So when you reject God, the true and living God, and surrender to him, the alternative is you'll always trade that true and living relationship with something that's inferior. Idol worship, in the image of man, you're going to worship man, and the environment. It's climate change, you guys. Everything's climate change. We've got to save the planet. How many, 10 years ago we heard that New York's going to be underwater. How come the billionaires just keep investing and building then? Right, that's a great way to get some waterfront property, have everybody sell with that kind of terror tactics. And it's, it's this, save the planets, save the whales, save the seals, kill the babies. Now, is there a disconnect with that? I don't know if you, any of you saw Will Witt's video that went viral. Will Witt was on a college campus, and he said, hey, I'm doing a petition for, uh, you know, to uh, rescue these eagle eggs. And everybody was signing up to rescue the eagle eggs. And, and, it was just, and he said, we have this other petition, too. It, would you sign it? It, it? It's to stop the killing of babies and abortion. And not one of the college students would sign it. They all signed the one to save eagle eggs. Is there a cognitive dissonance? Is there a disconnect? When have you seen a little child and you would compare it to a bird egg and the bird egg has more value in your eyes and your mindset because you're worshiping the creation rather than the creator who's blessed forevermore? Do you see, when you reject God, your entire world becomes inverted and it's upside down. So this is the belief system and now we see the behavior in verse 24, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions for even their women, so lesbianism, even their women exchanged the natural use 
for what is against nature, likewise their men, in verse 27, also, uh, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness and sexual immorality. In this passage, three times, since their belief system, they want nothing to do with God. Do you know God's a total gentleman? If you don't want to believe in God and follow God, he's like, okay, I'm going to give you over to your sin. I'm going to give you up. And three times he says, I gave them up. I gave them up. I gave them up. It means to turn you over to all of your worst base desires and just say, there you go. Go for it. See how that turns out. And he talks about them Uh, the lust of their hearts dishonoring their bodies among themselves. And once again, verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. They exchanged the truth of God. Now, is there a gender sexuality confusion in America? Right? What am I anyway? I didn't know it had passed. Back in January, here in your beautiful, this beautiful state of California, the um, legislation passed a law that transgender men now can go to the prisons of the women, right? So they haven't been through sex change, and uh, they have some, like, 384 requests for transfer. And and if I'm a guy, and I'm going to do a decade in prison, I want to do it with a whole prison full of women, Now that sounds like just a a great plan. It it sounds more like Muslim nirvana, actually, right? You're going to go to a whole building full of women, and all you have to do is say, you know, I'm transgender man. And so when the pushback came from all the female inmates that like, hey, these guys are going to come in, and I mean, my dad, my stepdad spent a lot of time in prison. I'm very familiar with the prison culture. You know what it's like? And these men are going to come in, and so when they got this big pushback, you know what the answer of the legislators were here in this state? Just send condoms. That was the answer. Just send condoms. I, I just wonder, sometimes I just wake up and say, what planet did I wake up on? It's definitely not the planet of reason, logic, rationale, and wisdom. It's total dark foolishness. And and only here, right, that the laws that, hey, stores are, CVS's uh, stores are closing in Los Angeles and San Francisco because of the crime rate of everything being stolen. Target stores in certain neighborhoods, they're just going to close them down. No, don't ask law enforcement to do their job and to enforce law because, you know, we got to get rid of the police and have total anarchy. Do you see, when you push God out, how your foolishness, your thought process just does not work? Is the answer, let's get rid of the cops, and it's already bad? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I'm the only guy that wakes up feeling this way. So so now we have this, the, the homosexual agenda, the lesbian agenda, and uh, transgender and uh, sexual identification, and because gender, you see, is fluid. <laughs> I feel a little feminine today. I feel a little masculine today. I feel like I'm an animal today. I feel like I'm a pan, you know, whatever today. I feel like I'm this. And so they have like a hundred different gender identifications that are all social constructs. And the social constructs of your... I don't know when the baby comes out of the womb and the doctor slapped you on the behind, he did not tell your mom or your dad, say, we don't know for another 20 years what he's going to be. (laughs) They say, you have a little boy. You have a little girl. It's biology. There's actually, you know, (laughs) physical parts that identify these things. So... This is a real problem because this message might get us off of YouTube right here. 
So just think about it. That doesn't mean that a man or a woman can't have temptations towards same sex or any of those things. Because fallen man, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, that you know where fornication and perversion and hatred and murder, you know where all that comes from? Well, we all know it comes from CNN. No, we don't. But uh, it, it comes from the human heart. It comes from the human heart. And so I'm going to be tempted. Everybody in this room, each one of you have temptations that pull on you more than others. Right? We, we're not going to have a show and tell to know what those are. But you're going to be, I'm tempted, you're tempted, and there's certain things that you're tempted with that would not even pull on me at all. And vice versa. There's something that would pull on me and you're like, that just, that's not attractive to me. That's the way sin and temptation works. And then you have a real enemy, the devil, that's trying to draw you into these things, correct? So the, when, when somebody that's in the lesbian lifestyle and the homosexual lifestyle or, or whatever it might be, and they say, hey, I was born this way. Now, now, my brother was in the homosexual lifestyle since the age of 15, and my brother died at the age of 53 with AIDS. Him and I had this dialogue for 35 years. I just want you to know I'm not coming from, I just didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday. Right? I was born this way. And I agree. I was born this way in that we are all born sinners. For that, we are all born that way, right? We all came, we have a fallen nature that has an inclination downward to do wrong stuff. That's just what humans are. That's why God has to rescue us, save us, forgive us. Because you're here tonight and you're a heterosexual that's in a marriage, a committed marriage, and you're tempted to be unfaithful outside of that covenant of marriage, right? Well, you were born monogamous, (laughs) but now you're tempted towards adultery, All temptation comes at people in different angles. So, the Bible's very clear about this sexuality. And as we wrap it up, I just want to bring a couple of, uh, I guess, there's a whole list here, um, and we'll add to it, try to put a bow on this beautiful story that you guys are so thankful you came for tonight. But it says, look at our culture in verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents. They are undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, this is a culture, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So a lot of people not only do the entire the parts of that list, but then the parts of the list that other people do, though they're not doing that, they approve of them. It's just like somebody said, hey, I'm not, I'm not gay, but I want them to be able to be that. And so you're, you're approving of the lifestyle. And um, Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6 Jesus quoting from Genesis chapter 1, the very first verse of the Bible, gives us gender identity. Given from God, not from cultural constructs, not from academia, not from uh, the progressive left out there, not from the uh, local people that are in that lifestyle. But he says this, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? There's two genders. Jesus laid it out there. This is the way it is. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus says, God created male and female. That's why we need our minds renewed to know what the Bible says. There's all of these other things out there, but the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. Meaning, the whole culture, you guys, tell us this, but what's God say? If he created you, you know, each one of us in our car, in the glove compartment, there's this little book that you got when you bought it. What's that called? An owner's manual. The people that made this car made you a manual so that you know how to take care of this car. This is your owner's manual. God gives you this owner's manual, and he says, this is your life. This is, this is how I created you. And if you want to express sexuality, you know, The narrow definition of sexual fulfillment in the Bible is so narrow, 
right? It's not this big, broad plethora of things. It says, if you want to express yourself sexually, you get married and you spend your life with this person and enjoy sexual intimacy. If not, you remain celibate. Because if you're in fornication, which is with, you know, when you're not married, or a very broad term, um, it's all sin. So you, I, I find people that are shacked up with their girlfriend and shacked up with their boyfriend, and they're a Christian in church, outraged over homosexuality. And I look at them, what's your problem, dude? You're totally in sin. You're not, I mean, you're not, in, why don't you repent? Well, at least it's a woman. So what? You're still in sin, dude. Repent. Right? This is how narrow the definition of, of sexuality is. Well, I'm a sexual creature. Well, then get married, man, and have fun. It's almost like God doesn't want us to have any fun. No, he knows how your body works. It's an amazing thing. You know, when you're in a committed relationship with a spouse, I never wake up in the morning and go, I wonder if I got herpes, I'm going to be on a commercial. I got an outbreak. I never wonder about, you know, all these things because it's amazing that you can enjoy yourself and and the Lord in the very first chapter lays this out. I made you male and female. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. That means God says, hey, I created this really wonderful dynamic of humanity. It's called sexuality. Knock yourself out. Have fun. Enjoy yourself. So much fun that you're fruitful and you multiply. I mean, we're like rabbits around here. We're having so much fun. And yet, there's this big shame culture sometimes even with church and sexuality. God created it. It's not like when I just said, you know, having sex, the angels are up and have, oh my. He just talked about sex. But we live in a culture that is totally, totally far from God. And sadly, that culture has squeezed its way into the church. And oftentimes, the church doesn't look much different than the world. I expect the world to be the world. I remember the Sunday, and uh, that Tammy and I were at church. We were, we were young, we were engaged, and we were young Christians. We had never grown up in church. We didn't know the Bible. And the pastor talked about sexual immorality, and he talked about sexual fulfillment only in the covenant of marriage. He shared that. And uh, I was 21, and Tammy was 19, and <clears throat> actually I was 20, and she was, uh, yeah, she was 19, and, <laughs> and I, heard this, I heard this story, I just want to be accurate about every part of this story, <laughs> and, and we were, we had been dating for off and on in high school, so we had been sexually involved for years, right? We're just normal American young people, we don't know God. We're just sexually involved. We get engaged. I want to spend the rest of my life with this lovely lady. And then I hear in church, hey, until you get married, this is, this is sin. In my heart, I, I went from this hard-hearted, dark, living sinner to a tender-hearted person that wanted to do what God wanted me to do. And I looked at Tammy and I said, oh, I, I, I didn't know we were living in sin. We, we got we to stop this. And well, we're going to get married and, like, Four months or something like that. <clears throat> and I said, I got I to gotta do something. And I, it just like freaked me out. Because I'm like now for the first time, I'm in sin. I know it. And I'm, I, I mean, I spent the last, you know, before I started going out with Tammy again. And I was a young Christian. I just tried to wake up every day, not hungover or in bed with a strange girl. And now, you know, I, I want to change my life. And so I had an opportunity. I went and talked to my boss who had a connection in Las Vegas. And he said, hey, you can go to work for our company there. Now, who goes to Vegas to get away from sexual sin? <laughs> right? And I told Tammy, I said, hey, I got this gig. I mean, this is the thing. I'm just being really honest with you. Like, Tam has always rocked my world as far as attraction. And I'm like, I got to be 500 miles away from you until we get married just so that I can keep my hands off you and honor Jesus. And you go... Dude, you're, you got it bad. You're, you are absolutely correct. 
So I told her, and I went and got a job, and it created tremendous tension for us and all of our young Christianity. And I went there, and I came back for the wedding, and we got married. And now we've been married 35 years. And the fulfillment that God has designed, he's designed for a purpose. And people around me, I had multiple people around me that are in the lesbian lifestyle and homosexual lifestyle, and I see the destruction in their life. Sad life, my brother's life, my sister's life, sister-in-law, I mean, uh, stepsister's life, sad. God doesn't give us the instructions that he gives us because he's trying to hold out on us from ultimate fulfillment. He actually wants to point us in the direction of ultimate fulfillment. The owner's manual says, if you pursue this path, you're going to be blessed. But what you believe affects how you behave. And if you have the worldview that the rest of the world does out and God hasn't changed your mind, and you're beginning to spout what everybody else is spouting. Well, you know, this, it's these gender things and all, you're just like, you're totally losing it. One day, one of my most embarrassing, now as a pastor of 32 years, you guys, I have a lot of embarrassing moments, just so that you know. But one of the most epic ones, <coughs> I was at the lobby, and our church was large, you know, we'd have 2,500 people, you know, coming through on Sunday morning, and and this guy came, and, and he was a known radio personality, so he was, you know, known in our valley. And he was a believer in Jesus, and he came up to me, and we, I taught a message and shared something similar to this. And he had big tears running down his face. He was a big guy. And uh, he had tears running down his face, and he came up to me, and I'm shaking hands at the door, like, hey, God bless you, see you next week, whatever. And he, he took out of his pocket, and he had a wad of condoms, like 10, 15 condoms in his pocket. And he put them in my hand. <laughs> at church, in the lobby. <laughs> I'm sitting here with this wad of condoms overflowing out of my hand. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, what do you think? And he's like, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm sorry, I'm tired of living in sexual immorality, all this stuff. I want to get right with God. I'm like, at that moment, I really didn't care. Because he had just, and there's fortunately a garbage can, you know, five steps away. And I threw the, the things away. And I'm like, okay, we got rid of the condoms. I'll pray for you now. <laughs> That was only topped by the late day the meth addict came into my office, a gal, and all of her stash was in her bra. So she pulled down her bra, and she started throwing her meth pipe and all of her drugs on my desk and said, we're going to have the smash my meth paraphernalia party on Pastor Rick's desk. She was totally tweaking. She was high as a kite. I'm not going to continue with where that story went. I was rescued. Praise God. But this guy, I prayed for him. Because you see, the Bible knows we're, I mean, God knows he created us to be sexual creatures. You guys, we're sexual creatures. And if you're able to have self-control and you have the gift of singleness, as Paul the Apostle talks about, praise God. Paul says, if you can stay single and not get involved in sexual immorality, guys, you know what? He says, you're not going to have trouble in the flesh with being married. Paul says, if you get married, you're going to have troubles. Troubles! We're all married people. <laughs> Why? Because you have the tension of these two people always in a wrestling match emotionally and everything else. So he goes on. I said, the Bible says if you, if you, it's better to get married. I said, let's pray right now that God gives you a beautiful wife and you can enjoy yourself. So we prayed. He left town. He actually quit his job to get out of the area. And I saw him three years later. I'm in a Christian bookstore. I'm up in Boise, Idaho, preaching at a church up there. And I'm in the Christian, and there he is. And he lit up. He's like, oh, Pastor Rick, you got to meet my wife and my beautiful son. And he introduced me to his wife and his son. And this guy was radiant with the joy of the Lord. And I thought, what a contrast from the guy that put 10 condoms in my hand. <laughs> this moment was also more joyful for me than the previous one. <laughs> Unless Jesus changes your belief system, and changes your behavior, you really have to wonder 
what your Christian life's all about. If what you believe does not change how you behave and walk with Jesus, there's something desperately, tragically wrong that only repentance can fix. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would wash us and cleanse us right now. Transform us. Do your work by grace. You're so faithful. And I pray that you would do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask right now. I pray for those who are single and struggling with their sexuality. I pray that you would either give them an incredible gift by your spirit of self-control and singleness or that you would bless them with a wonderful spouse that they can spend their life with and enjoy the outlet of that relationship. Lord, I pray that you would cleanse us and wash us, that you would transform our thoughts and our lives to bring glory to you. Lord, we're so thankful that you have met us, Lord, here at this time to touch us and to speak to us. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's stand together, and we're gonna have this closing song, but we also are going to have some prayer counselors here at the end of each service on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings, so they'll come up during this song, and you can come up during the song or wait till after the song, but let's stand and worship the Lord, and may the Lord keep you in his amazing grace this week as you walk with him.